Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to Glocal News in Social Artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton, and we're glad you are with us because each week we get to talk to someone who is building a more humane world from the inside out. Today, my guest is Janet Sanders. I'll probably be calling her Jan throughout the show. Uh, welcome, Jan. Where are you today? Hello, Dick. I'm in Aurelia, Ontario, up in Canada, mm -hmm. about an hour and a half north of Toronto, looking at beautiful fall colors and warm weather. What is that bay uh, close up there, uh, Thornbury oh, and... Uh, some, oh, Georgian. The Georgian, Georgian Bay, right. Bay. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Marsh yeah. and I yeah. had a, 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 about a week up there uh, at ah, a, a yes. little place on the bay and beautiful land up there. Mm -hmm. It is. It is beautiful. Like, lakes, greenery. Yeah. yeah. Good people. Good people. Mm -hmm. You're good people. I met you, <laughs> oh my goodness, uh, about 2002 or three or four, somewhere in there. Somewhere in there, yes. It yeah. must have been something with uh, the Gene Houston programs. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the early social artistry workshops? Probably so. I, so, I was in uh, on one of the first or second ones. That, uh, ones, okay. Out there. Yes. Yes. You and Rob work. Uh, <laughs> yes. Rob's been on the show. Uh, we probably have uh -huh. to get him back. He's been writing so many books. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll have to <laughs> catch up with him. Yes, yeah. You know, we have uh, a little bit of a interesting thread that goes way back, and we don't have to spend much time back there, but uh, as mm. a college student, I spent a weekend in Chicago at the Ecumenical Institute, mm -hmm. and as I understand it, you had a little bit to do with that place at one time. Joseph Matthews, was it? Yes, Joe Matthews uh, was the founder of Ecumenical Institute, mm -hmm. which grew out of the World Council of Churches, concerned about lay people taking an active role in community development, politics after World War II. Mm -hmm. And so how did they strengthen that response? So, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, I also weekend and um, they were talking about a 20-year commitment and I made it. <laughs> a 20-year commitment. Bless your heart. 20-year commitment, yes. Were you, were you so, out of college at that time too? I was. I was teaching the East Coast inner city of Camden, New Jersey. Hmm. And I, second year there, and what I became aware of with my teaching, I had a great year and, and the kids grew and next year they went into a class and the teacher wasn't prepared to deal with the kids or the culture. Or, and I just, I saw the gains kind of disappearing. And I said, mm -hmm. there's gonna be a better way of doing this, of creating mm -hmm. change. And that's when I ran into the Ecumenical Institute, which very quickly uh, took on the name of Institute of Cultural Affairs. Oh, Indira Gandhi 
met with us in India, and she said, this ecumenical institute business, that's still Christian. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right, right. We need something different. And so we went uh, with the Institute of Cultural Affairs and more of a secular approach, Uh, spiritual still, deep Mm -hmm. understandings. And I was pleased to be part of that uh, actively, staff for about 20 years Mm -hmm. with my commitment and Mm -hmm. traveled the world with it human development, town meetings, odysseys. Um, that's where I met Rob Work. Okay. He was also with this organization. And um, we both found ourselves kind of uh, stepping back from the staff role about the same time and looking at what do we do next. Oh. And so that mm-hmm. was when we had met Jean Houston. Oh, okay. And she That would be was, in the 80s, maybe. It was, yes, 85. And she had been working with Margaret Mead earlier. Quite mm-hmm. a lot of her career had been with Margaret Mead and a uh, colleague. And Margaret told her, you need to check out this Ecumenical Institute, ICA. And I, th- I think they're on to something here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so when Jean had the opportunity to come, she came up for a weekend and did a program with us. Oh, okay. and that was the beginning of that that piece and that journey with with her. She made her programs available to many of us and really helped us cross over from the eighties, our founder dying and moving into a new age and a new type of service. She was very instrumental, yeah, in doing that. Mm-hmm. So, and if I can add one more piece, some of our earlier research, with the ICA, we were looking at creating a kind of an overall map of society. And we mapped it. We talked about the economic, the political, and the cultural dimensions. Mm -hmm. And then we said, if change was going to happen, it was going to require a new mythology, a new understanding. And that came from Joseph Campbell. Okay. Give me a little history lesson here. Anyway, he also talked about we were at the end of one time and the beginning of another. Mm-hmm. And it was our lot in life, our, our chance, our opportunity to meet in that in-between time mm-hmm. where things were still forming. I think we're, we're still into that, although I'm encouraged by some of the new uh, stories that are being created, understandings. And mm-hmm. so when I met Jean, she knew more about mythology and culture than anyone I had ever met. And I said, I'm going to work with this lady. Okay. And so that was, that was my commitment. She had been to many of our ICA programs and in Mexico, she was there at a big conference. And um, I just said, you and me lady. No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that I, I wanted to more deeply work with her. Mm-hmm. So, that began that journey, my second kind of career. Yes. Yeah. Well, that was sort of my story with her, too. I met her at a national wellness conference up at uh, Stevens mm. Point, Wisconsin, and went uh-huh. to her uh, workshop after her keynote talk. And uh, I had a, a very meaningful experience in the workshop. Mm. And mm-hmm. she said, by the way, there's a mystery school that you could attend uh, on the west coast and Uh so i had friends out in oregon where it was going to be held so i said well a weekend you know (laughs) 
what's a weekend? Yeah, what's a weekend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and 20 uh, years later, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> I have a radio true. show called Global News and Social Artistry that just grew out of that whole time. Mm, how wonderful. So yeah. when you talk about mythology, can can you give just a little example of, you, you said, we need a new mythology. I, I don't know if that resonates with this audience. Yes. For me, it, part of that beginning was to see the earth rise. And you've got it behind you. Yes. You know? the, and, mm -hmm. and I think that picture signaled to the planet, you know, the oneness mm -hmm. of who we are, the interconnections, the no national boundaries, no the incredible amount of water, uh, small amount of land. You know, what, what is this planet? that we have on our hands. And so that 69, we had that picture. Mm -hmm. That was a beginning of that understanding. And that's been a symbol I've lived with also. It's in every one of my training programs too, is mm -hmm. the, the earth rise. So if we look backwards, we have different, and I, I wanna say I'm using the word myth here in, a, in the good sense. Yes, that, not as um, a, a wrong yes. idea, but as yeah, a not as story. Idea, which is, yeah, unfortunately, it's kind of come to mean that. But it's a story, and it's a deep guiding story. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily true, but accurate or mm -hmm. <laughs> foundational. You know, it's, it's those understandings. Often those stories are in our religious understandings are part of it. But th those are still stories that often divide us us and them kind of situation. What's what's the story that's going to be all of us mm -hmm. uh, living on this planet uh, is part of that new story for me. I, I think we're also seeing it come alive as we touch back more within indigenous understandings of the land mm -hmm. and the aliveness of the planet, the respect. The, um, I, I've gained a lot personally from linkage with uh, my Native colleagues, friends over the last yeah, 30, 40 years. So mm -hmm. that's where I'm looking to for. The mm -hmm. new science has some of it also. Those are the pieces. COVID, COVID is a planetary experience that we've all had, mm -hmm. is, is also somehow part of that mix, part of that weave, you know, uh, and what it was able to do with us, to mm -hmm. us so quickly. But um, so that's um, prompting, I think, a new understanding of both the fragility, if we are not linked, our climate crisis is pointing to a new understanding also that, you know, I just can't have the air quality around my country, um, but it's the air quality, it's the uh, O2 across the planet, all right. of these things. Jean talked about with the needing to develop the complex understandings, not simple understandings. Mm -hmm. Leadership today needing to be able to develop complex understanding. Mm -hmm. I was doing some work in Rwanda that I, I just heard from these friends today. So this story's on my mind. Mm -hmm. And this was 13 years after the genocide and the fighting. And we were on our way up to one of the communities that my friends had worked in or lived, grew up in, and this was their home community. And they, they were two ladies that were particularly searching out how did they build a new country? What, what, what did that look like? What was the new story mm -hmm. beyond 
Hutu and Tutsi. And we had climbing climbing mountains. If you've ever been in Rwanda, it's it's the mountains. And we we the community was at the top of one of these mountains and we could look over and there was another mountain fairly close in the distance and my friend said that was that was where the fighting always began it was the old kingdom over Mm -hmm. there on that mountaintop and that that was where the fighting uh and in this particular neighborhood also began and so what you know that was a deep wounding Mm more than a wounding tragedy genocide and how how did they build a new story of coming together mm-hmm. so it can be on the planetary it can be within a culture within a you know a community a nation the need to build the new story what will carry us forward mm-hmm. and they've been trying mightily to create that new story yeah so the whole story the myth factor yes mm-hmm. yeah so in your experience You've been to a number of cultures. Does does a new story come sort of out of one person's dream or vision that then goes viral? Or is it more a a whole community (laughs) that dances the new vision and just happens? I think that's part of it. I think it is in the land. It's important to me to be on the land because to me, part of the new story is coming from our understanding and being on the land. And it can be one person can articulate it as long as it rings true for the rest. But my sense is it's also it's in kind of small groupings that are looking towards the future. We, we did a beautiful piece in Nepal. I'd, I'd been working in the country of Nepal for about six or seven years with mm-hmm. uh, different programs in social artistry. And we had our first train-the-trainer session in social artistry mm-hmm. in 2008. And 25 of the, I would say local leaders, they were all leaders in their own right, in their own domain, education or lawyers, or one was a politician, um, teachers, and they came together and it just happened that in the midst of this time, this week, they built their new structures. That the king had stepped down. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was what all the in the fighting was about, uh, basically a civil war, and was to replace the king. And here they were, this very week we were there. They were in the midst of selecting their first prime minister and governing team. Mm-hmm. It was it was it was electric to be there. Wow. So it, it was in the air as they were putting this together. And we, my husband, um, Richard, said, well, we have, to, we have to acknowledge this time, Jan. And this is maybe indirect way to answer your question. But we have to acknowledge this time. And so he set up a little role play every lunchtime about what was happening and the news of the day and who was, and he had people take on different roles. Uh, who, who was the potential, the three potential prime ministers here. And they, they were, and so they acted this out in the, the midst of our lunch. And then, then the day came about the fourth, fifth day where they had a new, a whole new government structure in place. Mm. And I said, what can we do to acknowledge this? Uh, to be present to us. I said, where, where could we go? What's around here? And so I was exploring what geographical. And they said, well, 
when the first kingdom began about 213 years ago, 215, it was announced right over here on this hilltop. It was one of the places the king came and announced the new kingdom and the coming together of all these smaller kingdoms. And it was announced there. And I said, well, let's go. And so <laughs> we all went. We all went in silence up, up this small, small little hill, really, <laughs> uh, mountain by my Nebraska standards, but um, and and stood on that hilltop and welcomed in the government and claimed the promises of that new government and uh, that it could be by the people. It's, it's, it's had a rough go, but they were each declaring that within themselves, it was a ritual, a creating a ritual that honored the past, mm -hmm. uh, recognized the future and stood right at that moment, the existential moment and claimed mm -hmm. it for mm -hmm. their own. That's part of it. So individuals have to claim it. Mm -hmm. We then went back down the mountain, and I, I should say, Richard and I looked at each other and said, now what? <laughs> 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 but we, I had a, a beginning of a poem from a dear friend of mine, Pat Webb, and she starts poems out by In the Silence, dot, dot, dot. And so they, they, he suggested they write that, and they wrote and wrote. And then he asked, who, who was the famous poet of, of uh, Nepal? And um, I don't have the name just at my fingertip, but they all knew the famous poet. And then he asked, would that poet please come forward and read their poem? So he was inviting someone to kind of embody that poet and to come forth. And you wouldn't believe it, but the guy stood up as if he was that poet. He had been a pretty much a clown all the the four or five days, you know, kind of which is easy. Going. He stood up and embodied this poem, poetry, and read his poem of the future. And it, it was just total silence. And people looked at him. And then one by one, they stood up and read their own poems for the future. Mm. But to me, that's part of is creating a live ritual that embodies that that vision and allows that myth to take hold mm -hmm. every one of those those people gathered are still creating that new country mm -hmm. um it's wonderful to see i only now on in our uh, zoom calls with them mm -hmm. for the last few years but it something happened to them in that yeah. ritual yeah it was good it was good well, Jan, uh, let me introduce you again to our listening mm -hmm. audience. Uh, this is Glocal News and Social Artistry on KOPN, your community radio station out of Columbia, Missouri. I'm the host, Dick Dalton, and today my guest is Jan Sanders from uh, up in Canada, uh, north of Toronto. And uh, you are a consultant. You have a, a business uh, called People Energy. Mm -hmm. And uh, you've been talking about social artistry connected to Nepal. And I am reminded that back around 2004 or 5, a man named Tatwa mm -hmm. uh, was at a social artistry leadership training out in uh, Oregon. And we, uh, I was there too. And uh -huh. yes. it seems as though for some reason, 
Nepal was reaching out for tools that would help them in this coming transition. And, yes. and you're, you're now doing Zoom calls uh, and training. Aren't you doing a, a training in, in social artistry of some sort with them? I am. We started again. Um, Tetwa is still quite active. He was the director of the ICA at that time. Oh. And I would I would have to say that Nepal is one of the countries that has most picked up on social artists. Mm. It, it is just fascinating to me uh, in terms of their openness to that. Mm -hmm. So when I asked Tetra about that, he one of his comments was, social artistry recognizes the different culture aspects. And in, in Nepal, they have, um, I don't know, something like 60, 70 different kind of cultural groupings. Hmm. Uh, it, there's a huge difference between the mountain people and the Terai, the, the lowlands, just within a 250. So it, it was a way that it honored culture mm -hmm. and uh, looked at the gift of culture. And so it was part of his reason. We, we worked with him in an HIV and AIDS project in 2001-2002 uh, is where he first kind of met some of the social artistry. So he was weaving the ICA technology of participation along with the social artistry tools, mm -hmm. and particularly the tools that were for developing the inner leadership. Okay. So we've we've had countless programs, many grants, probably touched touch on around four to five thousand people in the country. Oh. Oh. And so yes, when my, my going back was linked to my husband passing. And oh. um mm -hmm. so it was people had donated money to the memorial. Actually the first gift that came in. Hmm. was money from Nepal oh. to honor his memory. Ah, uh, Richard. Hmm. And so, and he had loved, he had loved being in Nepal and working with the young people there. And so I, I took the money that came in and I said, well, we're going to do some kind of training program with Zoom with the young people in Nepal. Mm -hmm. So I approached uh, Tetwa. We hadn't been able to do anything for several years. Mm -hmm. And so we put together a new program. Uh, it has many of the social artistry components along with a few, with a mini grant. So the first program on Zoom was inviting, I think we had about 23 people the first time, young, young people, uh, 30 or younger, and some high school. And they had three days of the social artistry training. And then we had them to design a SPARK project. So a spark project was like a spark, you know, it's just a bit, a flash, a quick mm -hmm. little thing. So it was a quick little project that they could do themselves. And we gave them a small mini grant. Uh, that was where the, the funding went. Uh, I think it was about 40 US dollars. And um, they could design and we, we linked it with their own spark that was within them, their mm -hmm. own gifts, their own talents. Mm -hmm. And then with an area of, society that they were passionate about mm. and and they had to do it in two weeks <laughs> that was, that was so, mm -hmm. so it was something it was kind of like no one could tell them no 
you know, they didn't have to go through the process of someone telling you you could do this or not or, or getting more financial resources. And so we wanted to push their creativity and kind of build their action muscles mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. for change. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we had people, we had two young ladies um, actually in an orphanage uh, start a new business and making little uh, scrunchies for the hair, you know, mm -hmm. those in right. long hair. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they learned, they, they taught themselves and, and had someone come in and teach them how to do it. And then they sat about marketing and then they were about to sell them at the two weeks. So that was one. We had people uh, working on environmental issues, on educating, taking, you know, something creative for kids to do in terms of programs. Um, it's quite an is issue with having sanitary napkins uh, for the young women in their uh, moon cycles. So it was, that was education. There was education on COVID. And so just 23 little sparks happening, you know. Wow. And so then the idea is a spark can turn into something bigger or just it can build confidence. I can do this. Right. And so they came back and had wonderful reporting and uh, another two days of training. And now we're, we just finished the second one of these with another 25 oh. people young young men women uh from nepal and again very encouraged by their enthusiasm and to be doing things and this this group has a team of seven of them that just came together and wanted to um do do an environmental project together in each one of their neighborhoods so they they were in the Kathmandu valley and could, could do that mm -hmm. and some of these folks come uh, Rotaract, the youth program of Rotary, is very active in Nepal. Tetwa has been very active in that. So it's been one of the sources, some of the young people, just the network ICA has, network of friends, and have been the ones. So we hope to do three of these and then do an advanced program, all on uh, social artistry leadership, developing that capability. Wonderful. Yeah. So... It's very exciting. We have a faculty of, in Nepal of social artists. So right, uh, right. that's what we draw upon. And a little English. People like to practice their English. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, mostly Nepali in terms of the course. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so, you speak Nepali now. Uh, oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> I know the courtesies. Um, uh -huh. one, of, one of my friends there said, what I do have, is a, um, she said I was the first Western woman that she had met that had a, um, values more like the Nepali people. Oh. And so that was, that was interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have had incredible reception uh, while I've been there in the country. And um, yeah, mm -hmm. so that, that's been good. But no, I don't have the language. <laughs> Does that uh, compliment that she gave you have to do with the, the way that you honor every individual i think so yes every individual every situation and you approach and it with openness not with yes, some agenda yeah. already yeah. Mm -hmm. yes no we, we have the practices that we share but they they're definitely tailored to the community i'm also learning from them mm -hmm. all the time and weaving in their stories we have some 
wonderful different stories that you know people have told that have now been part of the curriculum and mm. the way we do some of the practices are very much informed by the way they do uh visualization and mm. you know the, the warming of the hands and putting it on the eyes to prepare you to do visualization don't just shut your eyes or and invite you to shut your eyes there's always an invitation to mm. do something mm -hmm. and uh openness if someone isn't i remember <laughs> We were standing one time and this one guy said it was an exercise uh, with a friend and an imaginary friend. And the guy said, uh, Jan, we, I wouldn't talk to my friend that way. I'd be sitting next to him. We would be shoulder to shoulder. Mm. So I said, well, go ahead, sit that way. You know, I mean, it was like, and and it was such a beautiful reminder of what it really is like to be with a friend. And to have a really good friend, and it it was it was very touching. I've I've been moved. I've been moved with what people have done on the other side. Of when we first started working with AIDS, that was our first project. And people, oh, the fear about it, the um, uncertainty, not knowing how it spread, but the courage that people had to come to the training and take it, find out more. Out of that session was the practice of commitment and people using the, the communication tools to communicate around HIV and AIDS. Mm -hmm. And the timeline, you know, we used to talk about past, present, future. And within the young people, you know, they had a big present, but no sense of their future. And we had to work with them through visualization. What what did you want in your future? What was possible so that they would take the precautions in the present to have that future? And so we had teams going out, working with young people uh, on that and, and giving them AIDS education, et cetera. So, yeah, that was just one of the, across Nepal they went. And this was in the midst of, you know, the civil war and the fighting uh, this mm. this team team went out across um, Nepal to do the education mm -hmm. on AIDS, and so you know what I think is possibly fascinating to people that have maybe listened to this show f even for a few years mm -hmm. is that we're talking about social artistry in a way that it's a real thing. Mm. Um, it had a beginning. It had an evolution. Uh, you have field manuals that have been developed. You have uh, trained the trainers. You have all of these mm -hmm. tools that have actually been tried and tested over the years and, and have evolved themselves. So just to call this show Global News and Social Artistry, there really is a history to this and, a, and, mm. a, and, a, and an organic, a living uh, embodiment of it going on uh, as we speak yes. yeah, around the world. Maybe mm -hmm. uh, other social artists that I have on the show have never heard of Gene Houston or have mm. never been in a training or, you know, anything like that. Yes. And, and they're, yes. they're doing their part to build a more humane world. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I include them mm. uh, as social artists. Uh, because they're doing the best they know to do and in the, the way that they have the capacity. Yes. And I, I think the metaphor of artist is so important 
in these days, ho however you're embodying that, mm -hmm. to be doing it with the, the sensitivity of the artist and the openness, like an artist has to just be aware of everything, you know, that's going on or going into the creation of what they're doing. There's a timing that's part of that. There's an inventiveness, a creativity. All those parts make for a, a beautiful, in my mind, metaphor. You know, there's social activists, there's social entrepreneurs. I myself considered myself a social pioneer for years until I realized the pain associated with that word. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so the artist yes as as a metaphor of bringing something new into being mm -hmm. i think and in our society i think it's such a powerful framework to be working within however it comes to you yes mm -hmm. yeah. and by the way folks we're so glad to have you listening today wherever you happen to be or whatever you're happen to be doing but uh we appreciate you taking the time to spend some time with us and part of the us is Dick Dalton, I'm the host, but the other part of us today is Jan Sanders. We'll mention again that you have a, a, a company, in a sense, called People Energy as a consulting company, mm -hmm. and that you're doing a Zoom training with young people in Nepal as we speak. You did a lot of work with the school system in Aruba, uh, mm -hmm. in the Southern Caribbean yes. area, um, and have been in cultures all over the world. Uh, I'm going to pick up, though, on something that you said a minute ago about inner leadership skills or tools <laughs> to, to develop your inner leadership skills. Yes. But first, I do want to say hello to everyone out there. I don't think I've done that. <laughs> okay. And to acknowledge your incredible work, Dick, because you are a, a social artist extraordinaire in everything you've done. And I know in your own teaching, you were very instrumental in bringing practices into your teaching. I've, some of your students have come our way. And so I just want to also uh, acknowledge that work mm. and bringing the, the world, uh, social artistry to the world and social artists to the world. There's a framework we use, and I think it's worth just kind of saying that because this is part of the pattern is awareness in four different levels. And then we put practices around that to develop the awareness. So I'll quickly kind of go through the, the four levels and some of the practices. But the first is at a sensory physical level. Mm -hmm. How do we embody more of who we are? How do we open up our senses? Too often, either if we're in the same place over and over, you know, we kind of dull to what's happening or um, we shut down. But the practices that open our senses back up, because that's where the initial information comes. And the leader needs to be open, aware of what's going on around them. Mm -hmm. And so that's both internally, we develop the imagination, and then externally, we develop and we do something called a sense walk, where we have people walk through wherever they're working or being a leader or the school, particularly, maybe I'll use the school example. We had our principals in Aruba walk through their schools, not talking to anyone, but just looking, listening, being aware of what was the environment. Mm -hmm. So much comes from that. And often we're not aware of the environment or we're not aware of how other people are responding to us. But so opening up. Uh, taking time to expand our 
sense the five senses and develop our imagination. Imagination is key. And then we use that imagination throughout the whole rest of the training practices in that. The second level of awareness is the psychological historic. Who am I? You know, mm-hmm. what? And as a leader, who am I? What, what made me the leader I am? What are my experiences? Understanding those, understanding my history and working with what I've got, working with my strengths. Not, not what it should be, but working with my strengths. It's a kind of a strength-based approach also. And how do I orchestrate my moods? You know, I might not always want to show up as a leader, but how do I be aware of who I, what my mood is and show up in a helpful way? So orchestrating that. Uh, how do I keep going? Oh, there's a beautiful piece of gratitude. That, that always, um, this, what am I grateful for? To touch those things again, again, as a leader. And it, we work at that level with different communication skills, deep listening. How do I not just, you know, quickly hear what someone's saying, but how do I deeply listen? How do I take that time? I think it's a key skill as a leader is doing that part. And the third at this level is the mythic symbolic. And we've talked about that. What's the story? With the schools, you know, we worked with what was their story. And um, they have such a story in Aruba of all the schools were started by the Catholic Church. And usually side by side, there was a a boy's school and a girl's school. That story, that's no longer the way it is. What's the new story? What's the story of each school? And so working with story, working with your own personal story, service, what's my symbol system? Sometimes the schools uh, worked with creating new symbols. How do you as a leader understand the symbols that people actually are living out of? Mm-hmm. And do they need to change? Do you need to create new new symbols? And uh, many places. I, I was working in a Native community, and we built a new symbol for the community. They mm-hmm. did. They brainstormed what should be in the symbol. Mm. And then uh, they took it to an artist and they did it. That was 40 years ago. And that, sti- that symbol is still predominant on everything they do. Wow. And it, it tells them who they are as a community. Mm-hmm. Powerful. And as a leader, what, what are the symbols? Symbol is key. I got that from my ICA background. Um, but it has to be actions to back that up. Mm-hmm. And then the last level of awareness is the spiritual unitive level we had to stop using the word spiritual for a while because it just had too many connotations that Mm -hmm. were uh, negative but Mm -hmm. it's that deepest knowing that we each have within us Mm -hmm. and it's often beyond words poetry is a great way to access this that's why in that nepali them writing their poetry they were in that universe space where everything had come together And so we take time. uh, When I was in Aruba, we would do walks out in nature or along the beach. They would do the walk in that sense of uh, a unitive, uh, something beyond myself, something Mm -hmm. deeper than myself is Mm -hmm. touched. And so often that's the level a community, a school has to touch. But often our religions or our, you know, philosophies are theology gets in the way of us touching that deepest level but if we're going to have real change it's got to be at that mythic symbolic a unitive level Mm -hmm. and be able to and as a leader 
work with that. Know when people are in that space, build that kind of awareness. Mm. So that's that's the framework. And we we work with real time examples or like in Nepal, the kids, the young kids are going out and working in in their environments, aware of those levels Mm -hmm. and um, just beginning to work with them, know them. Yeah. So that's part of that. Let me uh, just share that an example of that that I used in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, Good. We we would do. one of our days on uh, deep relaxation mm-hmm. as best as you can with a classroom, uh, sitting in <laughs> uncomfortable chairs, a uh, hundred students. But we'd turn the lights off and I'd mm-hmm. go through some progressive relaxation uh, guidance. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we would have some breathing, of course, involved with that. And then I would say, okay, um, imagine you're holding an apple what kind of apple is it? How does it feel? Uh, you know, can you taste it? Can you smell it? Can you mm. uh, those kind of things? And then we'd go to the next level, the, the historical, uh, psychological. Have you? Can you remember any experiences you've had with apples in your life? Uh, maybe a, mm-hmm. a, a, a caramel apple or a bobbing for apples or this or that. And, and then we go to the mythic symbolic. Uh, can you think of any fairy tales or stories or mythical stories that, uh, oh, Johnny Appleseed, oh, well, that's good. Or uh, <laughs> there's, uh, oh, the Sleeping Beauty or, you know, whoever these different ones, uh, I can't remember them all. But you, know, mm-hmm. you, you see that even in our, uh, our corporations, we have an apple as, as uh, a symbol. Mm. So... The big apple, you know, it comes up at that level. And then the mythic, I mean, the uh, integral unitive would be trying to either um, sense that we all uh, came from an original tree, in a sense. Mm. (laughs) We've all evolved out of the eons of of growth from a a star that burst and then... we're, we're now people like trees that have fruit and we're bearing fruit and can you share your fruit? And, you know, just some way to try mm-hmm. to get the mm-hmm. unitive uh, aspect yes. to it. And we, we could do that in about a minute or, or two. And, uh, yes, I'll have to use that, Dick. Yeah. Particularly where people grow apples. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was and something like that with an apple because I identify with Johnny Appleseed. Oh, me too. Coming, yeah. Yep. Yep. Very much so. So that that's part of my mythic and going out and spreading. Yeah. Um, the seeds of the apples. I'm going out and spreading the yeah. seeds of social artistry and change and mm-hmm. peace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We. I think we are kindred spirits in that way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, what, what was it about Aruba that uh, you either contacted them or they contacted you? Uh, yes, and, and yeah. Well, it was a lot. Uh, it, it took a long time. Jean initially went down to Aruba and did a presentation. On, Jean Houston? This is Jean Houston. Houston. Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. And mm-hmm. so much of this, the original work that I do is from her framework. And mm-hmm. so she had been invited to do a talk. Um, and one of the ladies from the university was at that talk. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it was a year later, she started 
she called up the foundation and wanted to know, um, I forget what it was, maybe if they were doing a master's program or what, but the foundation called me then and uh, said I should get a hold of her. <laughs> and so I did. And we I talked to her about the work we had been doing and she was very intrigued. And we tried three different proposals <laughs> of things we could do. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, got funded, but the third one was um, some funding for training for principals. And so we, she said, "Can you write a proposal in a couple of weeks?" <laughs> so I did. <laughs> By that time, I had gotten some, and um, we got three years of funding to develop a program on collaboration for the principals and senior teachers of the Aruba school system. And so, um, and we had four different cohorts able to do it for four years. So that was very powerful to do that and to link. We, we did both the social artistry curriculum. We did the ICA's technology participation curriculum, action research, and deepening the culture of each school. Mm-hmm. So when so you say, was, uh, excuse yeah. me, when you say ICA, we want to, Make sure the audience knows that's the Institute of Cultural Affairs that yes, yes. is still very mm-hmm. active, is it? Very active and still is one of the leading teaching facilitation skills across the planet. So, yes, yeah, and, and other types of action. So out of that work that I really began to focus more on culture and my own future is to work with people who want to shift their culture. You know, we, we talk about the culture of violence or the culture of sexual abuse. It's often what we talk about a culture. It's painful to say. And so how, how, what are the practices that you might do to shift that culture, to be aware of the culture and to create uh, new patterns, uh, new understandings? And um, I think that will come from some of these practices that we've been doing. So that's what I want to... Um, along with doing this program for young people, because I think young people are hungry for um, a deeper understanding. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. And Uh I'm wanting to see what the future looks like to you. Mm. I'm kind of going from your Johnny Appleseed future to the world. Yes. Very good. Because, you know, Uh, there's, there's so much angst in the world if we just stay in the present and look at the present reverberations? Well, I'll do a couple things just from my perspective. I'm doing a study on Kate Raworth's work called Donut Economics. Yes. And Yes. And I think it's just an incredible new understanding of economics and how she weaves in both the environment and where we've overshot the environment, uh, taking it to degradation. And she also weaves in the social uh, contract with different people, education, housing, and where we're underworking there. And so an economy that is built on thriving. And so I think it's one of the more profound images, along with my Earthrise. But it's, it's, a, uh-huh. it's and uh, it is a... Um, I mean, it's a, it's a donut, the old fashioned. <laughs> Got a hole in the middle, right? And with a hole in the middle, <laughs> yes. And so, if you, she she has wonderful work on the on Zoom 
our internet to to get inside of that work. She makes it very available. Communities are picking up on it. Uh, cities are picking up and uh, doing their metrics and how far, what is the environment in their cities. I'm also deeply focused on cities. Okay. I I was at a conference at the UN with Rob. I had gone in to do something else in his next workshop next big conference, and I, they invited me to stay for, was 250 mayors of cities. Hmm. And for the most, well, it was the first time they had focused on cities, not on nations that have armies. The United Nations uh, had invited 250 cities. And it's like the cities are the ones where all the problems really fall, the environmental, the poverty, the uh, issues with uh, cleanliness in the city, air control. And so, but they have no armies. Mm -hmm. Th these are not fighting groups of people. These are people deeply just concerned about their people. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's, it, it's a fascinating, I think it's that the group to be working with. And cities are beginning like to pick up this donut economics and to look at it and to embody that so it's it's one of the the key things i i'm leading a study group um on that and i think we need to get inside of that working on real climate change um and then where where i really personally want to focus what is on then the the whole question of the culture and this the phrase that came is how do we build uh the culture for beloved community Mm -hmm. using King's understanding of beloved community. So um, how, what, what does that culture look like? How do we enable beloved community to come into, onto the land, be part of the land? Uh, what does that look like? So, and I particularly look towards uh, my native elders and um, that I've worked with to also be part of that, because I think it's another place. There's a huge renaissance happening within native cultures. Mm -hmm. And as they find their voice, um, I spend as much time out on the land, uh, in the environment to understand, to be, um, have a sense of what's trying to emerge. Mm -hmm. I think COVID is a wake up call. It can be a death knell if we don't wake up mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, to that uh, and how we care for each other, mm -hmm. you know, in the midst of that. That's mine. I, I'm actively, I, I, I took about three years, two, three years out from active work to be with my husband as he went through different times of dementia. Mm -hmm. And so um, deeply grateful for that, to be able to have that kind of time with him yeah. and a, a deep um, sense of the deepening of our love. And yeah, that he's left. A beautiful spirit. I'm, mm. I'm, yes. I'm sure you miss him as well yeah. as... Uh, have deep gratitude for all the time you had together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I appreciate the stories. Yeah. And and being able to tell the stories and, and the stories of the, the courageous people that I've worked with, the visionary mm -hmm. people I've worked with. So, yeah. Well, yes. let, let me just ask one other little area uh, just a, as a possibility. The, you mentioned the United Nations. Mm -hmm. um, I know it gets a lot of heat. And yet, it also gets, uh, I think, it does a lot in 
positive ways that people don't know about. Yes. And I wondered if yes. you could put in a plug for the United Nations. <laughs> United Nations. A, you know, oh, goodness. To reveal just a little bit about what we don't know about all they do. Well, it is the one body that is global. And mm -hmm. so it might not always work, but it's what we've got now. And so, and and hopefully in the midst of working through it, we will uncover uh, the best ways of coming together and making decisions as a planet. And it's, you know, we're new at this. I mean, you have to say, it's never happened before. We've been trying for 50 years out of thousands of years. You know, we've been living in tribes. We've been living in uh, small villages and then, you know, slowly, slowly building up. But we've never done this before. Mm -hmm. And I just give strong, strong um, gratitude and, and support to the people who in one sense, um, and we worked with them at different levels, they've had to step out of their own culture to take on a planetary culture, mm. you know, and, and that's not easy. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes when we've done some workshops at a staff level, uh, that's been revealed. And so the, um, the pain of, of stepping out, of stepping into this, and again, just developing, what does this look like? And how do we care? I, I can remember going into Nepal and meeting with a staff at the United Nations, just deeply grateful. Too, too often they can't actually be working at the local level in so many of their things. They're working at a you know, nation level and, mm. and with people. And it's, um, that's the top-down way of working. And mm. in one sense, it's a policy way. And I have a new appreciation for working with policy and getting policies that are right. Uh, what does that look like? And so, um, but they they don't often get, you know, down. So when we were in doing the AIDS work, we were uh, working with grassroots communities and leaders. Mm -hmm. And so there was a problem that was the time of the Millennium Development Goals and working at localizing mm -hmm. them. How do you localize? And that was part of what we were out to do, is uh, to localize that. And um, they, they're often the first to recognize that, you know, it's, um, the hands are often tied with what they can do. They have mm -hmm. to work at a nation to nation level. Mm -hmm. This work at um, a um, city level was unique, mm -hmm. you know, so, um, but some of their programs, Robertson work, worked, tirelessly on an environmental program. So mm. they, they can get pilot programs. And that's their role is to have pilot programs and then disseminate what works, what doesn't work. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I have a dear friend right now that I, she's actually the reason why we um, started our training books. She ran into Jean at a UN conference. And oh. so uh, in the uh, Morocco and um, I happened to be there and she, Jean was doing some side kind of workshops and she just, she said, how do we get a hold of this? What can you do? I mean, how can we understand more deeply what you're saying? And she said, well, I've got these books. And she said, we can't get books in the Philippines, you know? And oh, so Jean and I made a commitment there to, um, to write our first field manual. Mm -hmm. 
that mm-hmm. people could have access to and use. Mm-hmm. And so that was Lo- our dear friend, Loey, and she went on to then do her master's in social artistry leadership. And mm-hmm. so, and it's just getting ready to go. She's, she's just getting ready to go to Iran oh. and uh, to work there with the UN. She said she had to go to, to the heart of where the issues were today, her and her wow. husband had decided that they would do that. You know, they have a young five-year-old child, and but that's that's where they they see that they they could make a difference. Mm. And so um anyway, so and she's with the UN. Yeah. yeah wonderful, wonderful people. So yeah. I hope people take the time to explore it and understand the good work. It's it also has just an incredible role to play in terms of immediate crisis response. Mm-hmm. You know, it's often the, the group that organizes uh, immediate mm-hmm. refugee. I mean, it, it, it has the world's issues, you know, mm-hmm. it has the climate change, all of it <laughs> yeah. hits their yeah. shoulders, you know. And you mentioned so, the, the Millennium Development Goals, just to have goals in themselves yes. for, yeah, that the, was, for the world. Uh, yes. And to have these eight categories and, and symbols for each one and, one. Mm-hmm. you know, goals. And then it, well, each and 10 they years, they sus- update it. Yeah. Yeah. So now they have the sustainable development goals. Oh, okay. And so it's it's a new set of, of goals. I mean, that builds on that first one. Okay. But that first, the millennium, were the first set of global goals. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it the whole human rights declaration uh roosevelt eleanor roosevelt working to get that passed from the u.n Mm -hmm. i mean that that's a piece of global there is some global legislation you know Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. that says every every human being has the right and i know right now in canada we're working on taking indigenous rights and bringing it into the government here so Yeah. yeah Wonderful. Thank you for that question. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you, Jan Sanders, for being part of this program. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) And for your life. It's a a real gift to all of us. So, friends, uh, thank you for joining us today. Um, I'll close with my my little usual uh, remember, uh, wherever you are, that is your world. Uh, Please leave your world cleaner and more peaceful and more loving than you found it because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care. Talk to you soon.